From MPB Think Radio, this is Mississippi Education Connection. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB. Well, at-home learning can be intimidating for anyone, but for teachers and parents of visually impaired students, making these adjustments to distance learning presents a wide range of new challenges. Today, we're taking a look at distance learning for visually impaired students with our guest, Dr. Glenda Winfield, Dr. Lashana Fant, and Director of MPB's Radio Reading Service, Mike Duke. Now, you can join our conversation today by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 Well, good morning, Tara. Good morning, Michelle. How are you today? I am doing well. How are you? I'm well. We are not in the same location today, but um, nonetheless, you are here with us in spirit and truth. <laughs> well, I, I hear your bright sunshiny smile so that's good <laughs> it's amazing you can't actually hear the smile through the airways it's amazing actually yes <laughs> well today we have a great show great guest uh, and going to talk about an interesting topic um, of course distance learning is reality for a lot of families right now and for students with disabilities, it can add some new challenges uh, as far as equipment and just a whole gamut of um, issues. And we're going to talk about the visually impaired student today. Um, we have some experts in the field that will uh, answer some questions, uh, give some resources, and talk about some social emotional aspects of um, distance learning as well. I can't wait to get to all three of our guests today, but we're going to start with our first guest. Dr. Glenda Winfield. She's project director of Jackson State University's Deep South Synergy TVI project. Good morning, Dr. Winfield. Good morning. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for being with us today. My pleasure. And I'd like to thank you for giving Jackson State this opportunity to share our commitment and vision for education of children with visual impairments in the state of Mississippi. Oh, you're welcome. And the information is really needed all over the state. Um, right now, I'm sure you're dealing with uh, students, college students, uh, coming back, returning back to school in a digital <laughs> form. <laughs> so you know firsthand how important um, just a person without disabilities learning how to maneuver through distance learning is. That is true. The pandemic has not left anyone behind <laughs> equal opportunity of uh, pandemonium <laughs> i think that is quite accurate well before we begin um talking about your project and what you do for uh at jackson state tell us a little bit about how you began working and advocating for the visually impaired well you know the story is quite simply it turns out to be somewhat by accident <laughs> When I uh, finished Jackson State University, I was a music education major in band. And at that time, women in the band room were uh, few and far between. The opportunity came for me to work at, Jack at uh, Mississippi School for the Blind, and I accepted it. And it was there that I learned the most valuable lessons about how not only do we have uh, inequality in uh, other areas that we've witnessed lately, but people with disabilities, sometimes, uh, especially with children with visual impairments or individuals with visual impairments, of all the disabilities, uh, at one point during that period, uh, 
they were the most discriminated against. There were few expectations, and we had all of these, you know, uh, premeditated, uh, preconceived, excuse mm-hmm. me, uh, conceptions uh, about people who were blind as being, you know, on the corner begging. They couldn't do anything, and therefore the expectations were very low. But when I engaged with those students, I saw all the promise, all the talent, all the things that children who had vision, they had. Mm. But only thing they lacked were the resources and the attitudes toward them being without vision that they could not accomplish. And that's where it all began. Wow. Well, how how did you adapt to teaching visually impaired students having um, no prior experience and then teaching band, teaching music? How challenging was that? It was very challenging because uh, I had not had any special education courses. But I think when you approach, let me just share with you a, a quote I had learned. It was from Shakespeare. It says, sweet are the uses of adversity. And it was uh, kind of an adverse situation. But what I learned were to meet the children at some of the things that they could accomplish mm-hmm. while they uh now all the t- the children were not without sight that's another misconception visual impairment has a range i often will share with my current mm-hmm. students that you may have passed someone who is legally blind on the highway driving a car <laughs> And so what happened is that for the students who had some vision, I I taught all my students how to read music, whether it was regular print or whether or not it was Braille. So the students who had uh, enough vision that they could read regular print, I taught them how to read music. The same for students at that particular point in time. I did a little tweaking in that um if the student had no vision, I uh, steered them towards uh, brass wind instruments that required you to use one hand to uh, finger the notes and the other hand they could use to read the music while playing. If there were situations that occurred that students uh, who had no vision elected to play a woodwind instrument that required both of their hands, then we would do a situation of we would read, say, a measure, then you uh, combine it to make phrases, and ultimately we learn the piece. Wow. Now, you also worked for the Vocational Rehabilitation for the Blind as a coordinator for Supported Employment Services. Now, how did those previous positions at the School for the Blind and the uh, Vocational Rehab help change your perception about challenges that individuals with visual impairments have? It uh, opened our eyes in terms of typically uh, there were only a small percentage of students that could graduate the School for the Blind and then go on to post-secondary education. But the majority of the time, people just relegated the students to once they finished School for the Blind, they would go to a sheltered workshop. Supported Employment Services was really designed for people who had severe 
disabilities uh, obtain employment in the com- competitive job market. This uh, took them out of, uh, I found jobs for people to work at uh, Pizza Hut, at uh, other, uh, there was a local bolt and screw company. There was um, also there were other businesses that, uh, and restaurants that would employ these individuals. We supplied them with a job coach who would go and train that individual and uh, teach them how to work and then later be able to work there independently. Some of my clients were not only blind, but they were autistic. Some were deaf blind and some were were just uh, totally uh, blind. Oh. Dr. Winfield, would you tell us a little bit about the grant that Jackson State has received there um, in 2017 of the Deep South Synergy TV1 project? Well, the TVI. The TVI. TVI, Yeah. No, it's it's not a problem. Uh, That is the acronym for Teachers of Visually Impairment. uh, When I first started at the School for the Blind back in the 70s, uh, what happened is there were two campuses, and uh, there was the one uh, that was on Capers Avenue, which uh, gave services to uh, children who were uh, black, African-American, and then there was the campus on I-55, which served the Caucasian students. We merged, and what happened is that at one point in time, this was prior to the Individuals with Disabilities Act, Um, The School for the Blind is residential, and children from all over the state came to these these campuses. When we merged uh, in about 73, 74, and integrated, uh, and the Individuals with Disabilities Act came about in 75, the act mandated that school districts would have to provide services for children with disabilities right there in local school districts. And when this happened, there started to be an attrition of children attending the School for the Blind. And you you can understand rightfully so in the sense of imagine yourself as a parent and you lived in um, uh, Grenada and you had to send your five-year-old to Jackson to go to school. And that five-year-old would stay there until there were holidays. It was almost like when we send our children off to college. And But there were some interesting problems there in that the child was always kind of like a, a visitor. So what happened is that now the School for the Blind doesn't serve as many as 400 children. What they are serving is a lower number of children We have not cured blindness. So where are these children? They're in the public schools. So Jackson State came with the idea, based upon the uh, input from stakeholders, that we should write a grant to train teachers in the state to work with children with visual impairments. We received the award, really, in 2016. But... Uh, We already had, Jackson State already had an endorsement program, but our funding agency, the Office of Special Education Programs, 
required us to create a master's degree program. So that first year, we created a master's degree program and began classes in 2017. Really, uh, classes began in, excuse me, in 20, spring of 2018. And uh, I'm glad to say that we have graduated in 2019 to graduates. We anticipate uh, three this fall and about seven this spring. And we have also uh, four other people who are getting their endorsements who just enrolled. Well, that is an um, excellent program. How is the um, can students and, and parents of those visually impaired students participate in any of those type programs um, through this grant or any other program that you know about right now that will help them in the situation that we are in? Any teacher or person uh, seeking an add-on endorsement or just would like to have uh, enrichment in this area can enroll in our courses at Jackson State University. Uh, we are currently uh, in our last year of funding, official year of funding, and uh, as a result, we have been given our special permission where we are having changed our focus from a master's degree to an add-on endorsement. So. Anyone who is interested in learning about uh, how to work with children with visual impairments is uh, welcome to enroll. And uh, because this is a graduate course, these are graduate courses, um, other individuals, uh, we're, we're working on trying to offer some uh, training activities that parents and non-certified personnel would be able to participate in to learn these skills and pedagogies. Now, so are you currently <laughs> working on a, a project to help teachers and parents, assisters, assist students at home during the pandemic? Yes, yes we are. We are uh, working to, we want it to be very relative. It's not going to be uh, stressful where you have to come in and uh, book it, you know what I mean, and have the stresses of tests and things like that. We want to be very down-to-earth, very practical, and offer parents some type of support to working with their children and teachers to work with children in their classrooms. Uh, it's still a work in progress. We hope to have it finished uh, within a few uh, weeks, and we will be uh, sending out announcements to that effect. In the meantime, if someone wanted to um, keep up with you, how could they, uh, where would they find the information about the progress on that particular project? We will be posting um, some items on our website. Um, we're a little bit behind because, as you know, every educational institution has been scrambling to make the uh, necessary adjustments to go virtual and how to meet uh, any hybrid uh, classes that our currently enrolled students are having. So as soon as we can get uh, things uh, very well organized, we will be placing those schedules online at our website. We will also work with our communications division at Jackson State and get the word out. 
Well, Dr. Um, Winfield, last thoughts. What are some what is what is some advice you would give to parents, teachers and students having to make the transition to teach their visually impaired students from home? First of all, I would like to say relax and take this uh, uh, quote I uh, came across from John Huntsman, Jr., who was a 2012 candidate, Republican candidate for president and also is a billionaire. He said, if there is a silver lining to bad times, it is this. When facing severe challenges, your mind is normally at its sharpest. Now, let's take into consideration one of the things, the brightest uh, lining, I think, is that this era is one of the best of times for people with disabilities. Why? Because we have at our disposal various assistive technology devices, the laws for accessibility, the changes in some of the attitudes about people who have disabilities have been reduced. I ask parents to take this time and I mean, there are a lot of things I think parents, I always say the parents found, give the foundation for educators. And when you have your child, take what skills you've already, uh, the child has already learned and just build upon them and work with your child, not from a position, a mindset that you are incapable but that you are capable, and translate this to your child. Help them reduce some of their anxiety. It is difficult for all individuals, especially people with disabilities, not to be able to have that personal uh, connection with people outside of the home, but it also reinforces that deep family connection Mm. that children when they are in a residential setting or even when they are connecting with peers because that's one of the things that uh, parents of children without disabilities are finding. They are beginning to connect with their children. They don't have to share them as much with others. (laughs) And you get to know your child. Mm -hmm. And you'll get to know... And always, I believe, in the uh, foundations of reading, writing, arithmetic, and in, I, might, I know I can be criticized, but also some of the old methods of teaching, reading, and writing, and arithmetic work because what we have to do is develop most of all critical thinkers, people who can learn a skill and translate it into other settings. I love that. I love that. And that, again, that's not just for students with disabilities. That's parents with students learning from home. And Tara and I are in that um, predicament right now. And again, I want to say all over the state, all over the world, if you're listening, kudos to all the parents that had to go into a teacher's zone and Work and teach your child from home. It is not easy, but we will all get through this. We will get through this together. Thank you again so much, Dr. Winfield, for being a part of our show today. Uh, We will post those um, websites on our 
podcast for people who want more information about your um, project at Jackson State. And we wish you well on your future projects. And let us know when those become available so we can share that information. You will be among the first to know. Thank you so much for allowing Jackson State this opportunity. Thank you so much. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Thanks for listening to MPB Think Radio, Inside Mississippi Education Connection. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB. Well, today we're taking a look at distance learning for visually impaired students. Now, before the break, we spoke with Dr. Glenda Winfield, Project Director for Jackson State University's Deep South Synergy TVI Project. Now, let's welcome our next guest to the show, Dr. Lashana Fant. Good morning, Dr. Fant. Good morning. Thanks for spending a little time with us this morning. I know you're pretty busy uh, during this semester, but thanks for um, sharing your expertise with us today. My pleasure. Well, before we begin, of course, can you introduce yourself to our listening audience and give us a little background on how you began working in this field? Okay. Good morning, Mississippi. As she stated, my name is Dr. Lashana Fant. I am a teacher of the visually impaired, a TVI. I have been serving in this field for the last 15 years, and I am from northeast Mississippi. I was born and raised in Chickasaw County in Houston, Mississippi. And the way that I got involved in this field is during my senior year of high school at at Houston High School, I um, became legally blind. I lost my vision, and I was raised by a single parent, my siblings and I, and I I always had to step up and help my mom with my siblings and those with their homework and all of that. And when I became a student at Itawamba Community College in Fulton, Mississippi, I was a tutor. I tutored in algebra and geometry and English, and that's how my educational journey began. Wow. Now, you said, I know you 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 say this story a lot, but I don't know if people were listening. You were a sighted person until your senior year in high school and you lost your vision. How challenging was that? It was a very, it was a huge challenge, more so for my close-knit family. I have a younger sister and a younger brother, and it was challenging for my family. But we have been still adjusting. The core of my heart know that they still haven't healed from that, but we take it one day at a time. 
Sounds like they took it harder than you. You had to just continue to move on and be resilient and find ways to adapt. And they felt uh, a little more hurt by it. Yes, we had to make those adjustments, but we know that there's still life uh, after trauma and that life still has purpose. So, again, we just holding hands together and walking through this journey. So as a teacher in this community and knowing firsthand what it feels like to not have sight, what are your goals for your students? My goals as a teacher of the visually impaired are to provide moments along this educational journey that allow students, especially in this season, to escape, to escape the present reality of the pandemic. I want to provide opportunities that are engaging, that are creative, that are accessible and meet those child's educational goals. That's that's one of my goals. I want to take that data that I I acquire when I assess those students when I, I teach them. I want to take that data to devise purposeful lesson plans that meet that individual child's needs. And also using other instructional tools, I want to learn that child's learning style because every child learns differently. And one other goal is to get that parent involved and that family involved. And while we get that child involved in the community, because it's going to take all of us to get that child to where they need to be to live a successful and independent life after their post-secondary um, tenure. So that's, those are my goals. Those are good goals. And speaking of uh, involvement, Dr. Fan, can you talk a little bit about the information that parents need to know um, about their children or to help their children from your teacher perspective in this pandemic where some of them are at home and some are at school? What are the, what are the key things that parents need to know? Parents need to know that a quality education is still at the top of the list for their child. Parents need to know that their child is still a priority. Mm-hmm. Parents need to know that it's still going to take open communication. We're going to have to employ elasticity and flexibility because it's going to take a lot of adjustments. Parents need to know that when they go into those IEP meetings, those individualized education plan meetings, that they need to assess those goals, those adjustments, those accommodations and modifications, and they need to be the number one cheerleader for their child. If there are concerns, they need to let us know. If they have some goals that they want us to consider as a team, they need to let us know because it's about getting the child what they need to live successful. Mm. Exactly. So um, during the IEP meetings, parents just need to speak up and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing at home, and talk to the teacher. Just be open about it because it is an open discussion that's very helpful for the child in the long run. Absolutely. We have jobs because of students. Right. It's not about the teachers. It's not about the administrators. We, we're here for that student. So, yes, that, that parent uh, needs to speak up for that child. And even if that child is at transition age and they're able to be in that, in that meeting, it's good to have the, the child in there also. We have been going through a lot of changes during this pandemic, and things have changed. So we're going to have to use that data to assess that child, to See if they have regressed. Hopefully they haven't. But it's going to take a new set of 
eyes. It's going to take, mm. we're going to have to look through a different set of lenses to do what we have to do for the student. And Dr. Fan, in addition to um, the vis- visual impairment that students have, some students have other multiple challenges as well. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, they do. And uh, we see them every day. So whatever those other health impairments are that that child has, we're just going to, that IEP is going to guide that that child's education. And that's what's going to be the trajectory for how that child will be educated. And we'll probably have to revise and revise and revise. But whatever it takes, it's about that student. So, so Dr. Fant, uh, when I'm listening to you talk, it sounds like the parents actually need to know their rights, know what rights their children have, and fight for those rights. Now, um, what are some pressing concerns you have right now con- um, pertaining to the education and safety of visually impaired students, especially especially at home? Okay. Well, I, I have a couple. So I'll, I'll start here. We have the Mississippi Instructional Resource Center here in house here in Jackson, and they send books to a lot of school districts. But just ensuring, I mean, and I know that they that they will, but just ensuring that the students, whether it comes from the teachers or the administrators or wherever the, the instructional materials derive from, that the students and the families get those materials in time because it takes some orientation to get and getting familiar with those materials and making sure that the parents have the support that they need. They may not understand Zoom. They may not understand Canvas. They may need some training with whatever learning management system it is. They may not understand Braille, or or they may not understand the low vision aid that the child may have. But making sure that we have those, that we provide that support for those students. And also, I'm, I'm just, I'm blind. And I use my hands, but just making sure we keep areas sanitized uh, as it concerns that child and and the family and and the school district, because a lot of us use our hands to detect things and see. So those are some pressing concerns. Wow. What, What type of tools might parents need at home for distance learning that they um, may need to purchase or you know, to aid the, their, their children. Are those tools or, or um, resources available somewhere for free? Is there a grant? Or how do they get that type of um, thing to help them at home? Well, um, the, the school will hopefully initiate a lot of those, uh, the process of the family acquiring those materials, but there are a lot of them, and a lot of them are individualized, and they should be stated on their child's individualized education program, the different accommodations and modifications and, and materials that that child would need. But some of them, some students use Mac where they use voiceover. Some may use a PC or Windows product. Others, they use Brellas or large print materials, number one pencils, hands-on materials. I mean, the talking calculators, scientific, talking scientific calculators, raised lines, um, materials, the list is endless, but those are just some of the, the, the materials that we'll have to ensure that the students get. And yes, there are countless resources also. And when you all, when the list is posted later today, that, that would be a great, those are some great resources that parents and families can use to 
to assess those resources. Yes, I will post um, the resources that you sent, and, and Mike Duke actually helped um, revise that list as well. We're going to post those uh, resources on our podcast, so if you are a parent or an, and a teacher um, that help with visually impaired students or you have a visually impaired student and you're looking for resources to help you learn how to use the equipment or what equipment you need, uh, we will post those resources on our podcast. Now, Dr. Fant, we're talking about reading, writing, and and arithmetic like Dr. Uh, Winfield said earlier, but what about those other type of skills that children that are visually impaired need to develop, things that they learn in the school setting? How will they continue that education at home? Doing the IEP meeting, those are some things that can be discussed, but those related services like physical therapy, occupational therapy, mm-hmm. speech therapy, the child may need orientation and mobility, braille, those things can still be acquired. And that's why when the parent selected distance education, we're going to have to come together as a team to see what's best for the family, when though when the child can receive those services, how they can receive the services, where where they can receive the services, all of those things will have to be determined. But because they are services that that child needs, they will have to be provided. Well, what about the families that don't have Internet service? How can they continue to provide educational resources for their students at home? Well, if we have to mail it, we can mail it. If we have to email it, we can email it. If we have to get it to by car, whatever we have to do, it's about that child. Those arrangements can will have to be made in some regard because I just feel like the families had to do with had to select the best choice for their family, and it's it's the schools. The school has to do what they have to do to educate that child. So. The child is entitled to that by law. Right. Now, what are some things that parents can um, be doing to keep their children engaged still at home while they're learning? Okay. I love this question. (laughs) So, parents, I'm going to ask you to take a seat and let's talk. That child, we have to keep them engaged. Whether you are working on their signature with them, whether they are learning cursive writing, whether you are fostering time for that child to have social moments, whether FaceTime or y'all do a drive-through where they can talk to their friends from the car, uh, developing a new craft, whether it's gardening or what cooking, whatever it may be. It's always something that a child can be working on. They can be working on strengthening their self-esteem and their self-confidence because they are somebody, no matter whether they're blind, disempowered, whatever term they may use, they that blindness does not have to define who they are. So there are a plethora of things that that family can can be working on. Give them chores to do, please. Again, give them some chores to do. Make sure they can make a bed. They can lace their shoes. There are countless things, but those are some things that they can do. All right. Now, I hope you guys were had your pencils and paper out and writing those uh, down. Now, I want to ask you another question. You don't have to give all of them because I know it's a lot out there, but what are a few online resources that are available that can assist families with educational materials and technical items? Okay. So I just missed a few. There are a couple of consumer organizations. You have the American Council of the Blind, ACB.org. You have NFB, National Federation of the Blind. NFB.org, you have American Printing House, you have Computers for the Blind, you have Hadley Institute. There are just countless ones. 
and I'm just so thankful that you all are doing this and that you will provide those inform- that information for those who need it. And Michelle, and I'd like to add that the PBS Learning Media, which is a platform with thousands of online resources that PBS has have put together at pbslearningmedia.org, they have lots of resources and content there for visual impairment for um, grades K through 12 plus, actually. And so there are resources for teachers and parents and students and also student athletes, So whether they be in printable format, video format. So we encourage folks to go there and put that on the list of resources as well. I love it. I love it. Well, Dr. Fant, we've come to the end of your segment, but I, of course I want to give you uh, a minute to give some last words of advice to teachers, parents, and students that may be listening that have visual impairments. Okay. Thank you for this opportunity. Parents, I want to say thank you for giving us the opportunity to educate your child. This is different. This is learning. It's different for the teachers, for administrators, for your child. But know, again, that your child's education is key. It's your child that we are preparing to live an independent life after graduating. So, again, thank you. Let's work through this together to get your child where they need to be. And thank you again for this opportunity. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Again, we'll put those resources on our podcast um, platform, and you can um, click those links and get the information and the resources you need at home. Thank you again, Dr. Lashana Fant, for spending a little time with us today. I know you have to get back to planning your curriculum and working with your students. It's been my honor. Oh, thank you so much. We're going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll return um, with our last guest for the hour, Mike Duke, director of MPB's Radio Reading Service. Now, if you'd like to be a part of our conversation today, it's not too late. Phone lines are open. The number to call is 1-877-672-7464. Stay tuned. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Malcolm White. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week we talk with visual artists, musicians, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Mississippi Education Connection on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Michelle McAdoo, along with my co-host, Tara Wren, Director of Education here at MPB. Well, today we've been discussing distance learning for visually impaired students. Now, if you have a question or comment, give us a call at one 672 Now, before the break, we spoke with Dr. Lashana Fant. Now, she gave us a teacher's perspective on what teachers and parents need to know concerning distance learning. Now, let's welcome our final guest to the show with more of a personal perspective on the subject, Director of MPB's Radio Reading Service, Mike Duke. 
Good morning, Mike. Good morning. And I'm, <laughs> you, you got all the heavy hitters in here, and I'm just sitting here listening and saying, yes, yes, yes. They, they both made, you know, very, very valid uh, suggestions and uh, excellent points and are right on target with the situation. Well, I know a lot of people know your story, but some people don't. Let's uh, tell our audience, uh, listening audience, a little bit about your background and why you are such an expert in this on this topic. <laughs> I wonder sometimes about the expert. Uh, <laughs> as as, as uh, Michelle said, I have lived it for all of my life. Uh, I'll give you the short version. I was born totally blind, was diagnosed as being totally blind uh, at the age of approximately six months. And my general doctor, practitioner doctor uh, in the town where I grew up, which was Newton, diagnosed the the, uh, blindness and said that as best he could tell, I had never had sight at all. And you know, wouldn't remember it now if I did, but, uh, his basically, basically his small town diagnosis was later confirmed at the Mayo Clinic. Uh, there two wonderful things happened. The Mayo Clinic told my parents, number one, nothing you did caused it. Nothing you did not do caused it. And it cannot be fixed. And uh, then they said, if you have, they said, you have two other children at home, which they did, that did not have vision problems. Uh, They said, you have two other children at home, and they're going to need your attention, too. So take your blind child home, raise him like you do them. Mm. And that's, you know, that's probably the greatest thing that was ever said to me, uh, you know, to my parents that uh, had the... A lifelong impact on me right. uh, because they did their best to do that. So let's fast forward because I love this story. Uh, what was one of the most impactful things your parents decided to do? To send me to the Mississippi School for the Blind. Uh, I started the Mississippi School for the Blind in 1960. I was at the time five and a half years old. At that time, you could start school in September when you were five if you turned six by the end of the of the current year i got in by two days <laughs> because <laughs> my birthday was december 29th right. so so uh i started school at school for the blind when i was five and a half years old now the school for the blind was 65 miles away from where from where my house was so i started school living in a dormitory now, that was tough on them and it was tough on me you know certain times of the day i really wanted my mama really bad mm-hmm. but and and i looking back it was a tough decision that they had to make uh my brother and sister were at home going to public school at that time especially for a first grader that was simply not an option right and heaven forbid Homeschool. I don't know how old I was when I first heard the word homeschool, but it wasn't five and a half. Uh, so I started at uh, first grade, as I said, in 1960, went straight through the Mississippi School for the Blind for all 12 grades, staying in the dormitory. I was one of the fortunate ones that lived close enough. My parents lived close enough by that I could go home every weekend, mm-hmm. which I pretty much did. As I got older, if there was something I really wanted to stay and do on the weekend when they had a social activity or something, I would I would stay because I wanted to stay. But there were a lot of children at that school 
who waved goodbye to their parents on Labor Day. We always registered on Labor Day because parents were off from work, could bring the kids to school. And, uh, you know, they'd wave goodbye to them, and they didn't see them until Thanksgiving. And the only reason they saw them then was because the school closed for Thanksgiving. (laughs) So tell me, how impactful was the School for the Blind on your career? Because you worked in radio. You've been here at MPB for how many years? I've been here 32 years, and I worked in commercial broadcasting 12 years before that. Uh, and you I, attended MSU. I attended Mississippi State University, graduated from there with a degree in communications. I could not have done the the career and the degree from Mississippi State without the Mississippi School for the Blind. I got the foundation there that I had to have. Uh, the, as Dr. Winfield said, reading, writing, and arithmetic <laughs> uh, and, uh, and Braille. The two most important things I learned at Mississippi School for the Blind were Braille and typing. Now they call it keyboarding. I know that. But in those days, it was typing. And uh, uh, I learned those things and, and of course, a lot of other. I learned the same subjects that my brother and sister learned. In fact, many times using the same books that they used or had used when they were in whatever grade I was in at that particular moment. Well, so give, having said that, how important is it now during this pandemic for visually impaired students to continue to get that type of education at home? Well, it's very important. If you, you know, if anybody, even me as an adult, if sometimes if I don't have a challenge, if I don't, if I somehow fail to be motivated, uh, you know, I slip off and, and I don't try hard or I don't, uh, you know, I'm a human mm-hmm. and and especially with a with a child that needs some structure in their life. Uh, it is very, very important to maintain as much of that structure as as is possible. Challenge the child to learn. Let them know that they can learn. Never, ever once did my parents ever say to me, you can't learn. Mm. Uh, they would say. You can't learn if you don't try. And they would encourage me to try. And, you know, I remember one time, and I don't know what prompted it, but my mom or dad, one said, if you try, you will learn something. You may not learn everything there is to know in that book, but if you try, you will learn something. I like that. And, I like that. And, and, you know, and that's still true. So... Given this time where, again, it's not as safe to send the students back to school, like Dr. Fant said and Dr. Winfield, sometimes they have multiple disabilities or and or as a visually impaired person, you're touching a lot. And, and during this pandemic, that is not <laughs> what you really want to do at this moment. So distance learning is the logical choice for a lot of families. Um, what advice would you give to parents that are dealing with this right now? Both Dr. Winfield and Dr. Fant hit it right on the head when they said, you are the advocate for your child. And this is true of any parent, whether the child has a disability Mm -hmm. or not. You are that child's advocate during that education process. That's part of your job as a parent uh, to, to, Sometimes stand up for your child and sometimes stand up to you know, the school district or whatever to make sure that child gets the, the, the resources that uh, they need. Uh, 
school for the blind here if you're not you know if your child isn't a resident student there or even enrolled there the school for the blind is an excellent resource for uh all kinds of material and uh the things that dr fant alluded to uh the 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 school for the blind are referred to the school for the blind is a wonderful resource for that kind of thing that's part of their job mm-hmm. as a parent you have to do some learning too. You have to know a little bit about Braille. You have to know a little bit about technology. Some of the technology that <clears throat> that a, a blind student would use, <clears throat> excuse me, mm-hmm. uh, has a learning curve for both the student and for the person trying to teach that technology to the student. Right. Um, so. Well, my God, I don't want to run out of time. Tara has a question for you. Well, no, I was. That was a good. Um, <laughs> I was enjoying listening and learning from Mike. I was just I'm interested in knowing, Mike, as you've just said, and Dr. Winfield and Fant, too, just because you're visually impaired and have these other hurdles that you may have to, you know, go through or that you do have to go through, and then on top of it, a pandemic, um, a visually impaired person can be successful. A A visually impaired person can do whatever it is that they want to do in life as well. So, um, and there is all these social, emotional, and you know, thoughts of, I just want to stop. And But what actions can parents and students take? You know, what, what deep down within you and your thought process, Mike, that have um, catapulted you to being successful and helping one be successful? What can you tell students to do to um, push forward that? Just keep trying. Don't lose sight of your dream. You know, it's your eyes that don't work. Your vision of your dream and and wanting to be something or be this or that keep it working love it well said well said well we've come to the end of another great show we want to thank you for listening and thank our guests dr glenda winfield dr lashana fant and mike duke for joining us today now this program is a production of mpb think radio in conjunction with mpb's education department and the mississippi department of education for tara wren i'm michelle mcadoo Stay tuned for Southern Remedy for Women and join us next Friday right here at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio.